I love those songs. I love the, the pictures of those songs. You know, when it, it talked about grace and love like mighty rivers. And it just throws a picture in your mind. If you've ever been uh, close to a mighty river, it's, it's awesome, isn't it? And the power of that water coming out. And you think of that in terms of God's grace and love poured out incessantly, says. So this, this river never dries up. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice. Kissed a guilty world in love. They're, they're beautiful words that, that convey a truth. Hi, Rosenfield. Nice to have you here, by the way. And the other one, I love that bit where it says about the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. That's, that's the truth of it. The Holy Spirit came down and the church exploded from that moment. And the Holy Spirit dwelt in individuals and the power of God was just made, made manifest. Fantastic. And then that, that last song that we sang, All of the Days I Want to Praise. Um, the wonders of your mighty love. It's true, isn't it? When we think about those things and we think about those truths and dwell on them for a while, um, it, it changes our perspective about what the next five minutes will be or what the next week or the next month might be. Paul writes to us in that first chapter of Ephesians uh, about those things, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and inheritance given by God, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and sometimes, you know, there's that litany of blessings which ends with being sealed with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we end it there. You know, if we were telling our own story, it might end there. That's where, where God came and I was saved. And we talk about other people being saved and we count people's decisions. But for God, that's the starting point, not the ending point. And that's why it's at the beginning of Ephesians and not the end. Because this is the beginning of life. Actually, I might turn on this little mic. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of truly living when we are when we are born again. If not, Paul's fifteenth verse, after going through all those things, would have been, "Well, for the next forty years, I want you to attend church regularly, keep your nose clean, be kind to your neighbour, and then Christ will be here to take you home." But Paul didn't do that. This, this first part, this prayer of Paul's, was, predica was the, the predication for the rest of your life. Well, now that you know this, now that you've been accepted by God, now that your sins have been forgiven, wow, this is, these are the things I want for you. So the idea of Christianity is not that we live life on a plane, but we live it constantly on the ascendant. That God, through his Holy Spirit, is empowering us, and changing us and so we're moving forward and we're, and we're growing in him and so um, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 he goes on to pray some things uh, if you've got your Bible open them to Ephesians chapter 1 he goes on to pray some things for Christians who've already been born again already been saved what sort of things are they Ephesians chapter 1 and from Verse 17, he says, I pray, and he's already prayed, but now he prays again. I pray the, Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for those who believe according to the working of his great power. He was asking for far more than, than just 
merely being saved. He was, he was wanting them to really know God and to experience him. You don't know someone when it's just head knowledge. You know, yeah, I've received forgiveness of sins. Yes, I have this inheritance. But actually walk in that and to understand that and to grow in your relationship with God. And you'll know if you've been a Christian for any length of time, or you should know, you know God far better now than what you did when you were first saved. And when you were first saved, maybe it, was, it, it tended to be more personal. But now you see the broad expanse of God's promise for the world and your part in it. And you see the, the immeasurable grace and you see the, the inheritance of the saints and that will continue and that should continue through your life as you get a greater appreciation of those things. It's like you're being born again, it's like the Big Bang. And then from there on afterwards is this expanding universe. As we walk into the things, the works that God has provided for us to do, we get a better understanding of who he is uh, uh, and so on. And so there are lots of words that Paul uses. They're quite these huge dichotomies. Darkness, light, freedom, slavery, life, death. It's a huge change in our life, isn't it? An amazing change compared to your neighbour. Your neighbour who doesn't know Christ is in a kind of prison. They're in slavery. They may not know it, but they're in slavery and they're just in four walls. And their past is a real problem because they've probably done, and many have done, things in their past that, that they're ashamed of. But that's just the past. They can't do anything about that. Their present is very limited by their circumstances and maybe by the life choices they've made in the past. So they're imprisoned by those. The future, there is no future because death looms. And so make as much as you can of this life in between. That is a prison. And we've been freed from it because our past is forgotten in Christ. The scarlet sins are as white. That's forgotten about. Our present is continuous. It goes on into the future. It's not limited by our life. And in, the, in our presence, we have the, the, the presence, if you like, of the Holy Spirit in us and his power to do God's work in this place. And our future, our inheritance is there. We've, this is a seal, Paul says, doesn't he, of the Holy Spirit. This is our guarantee that these things are going to happen. So, wow, would we, how could we not live differently from our neighbour. And so when the elders um, get together and they consider what, you know, what would we like the church to do, we, we start to think about those same things and, and it comes back to growth. We'd love to see growth in this place. That's what God wants to see in us, growth, a, a, a journey together and to receive those things, that, that inheritance. Paul goes on in, um, in Ephesians 3 so if you've got your Bibles open there, just turn it a little further to chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Holy Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you'll have the power to comprehend with all the saints, what's the breadth and length and height and depth, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's what God wants for us. Birth is always like that. It's a bit like with children. We've been fortunate enough to be in proximity of little babies as, as we have grandchildren. So m most of you know we've got five of them, five boys, and they're, if I'm right, their ages five, four, three, two, and minus one. And so the last one was little Rory. 
I must say that when I went into, uh, you know, one of the great privileges is going to hospital shortly after the baby's born, and you see this gorgeous creature, these beautiful babies. I've never heard one of the mothers when we went to see Rory. I never heard, I never heard Jasmine say, "That's it, job done." I've never heard that, because we recognise intrinsically that when there's a new birth, there's a whole life ahead, and the parents are prepared for that. And so this is a, a, a beautiful thing to think about their growth as they continue to grow and develop and, um, and get their personality and so on. And so it's the same in terms of our church and in terms of our own development that we would want to grow. And the beauty of children is Jasmine looks after her children very well and she makes sure they're, they're fed exactly the right things and she wants to make sure that Rory sleeps when he should sleep and she's aware of anything that's going on in terms of sickness and those kind of things. That's a loving mother. That's, that's a provision that God has made for a family and not just a mother because Rory has a father as well. And so God places these new babies in a family. And when you think about it, even as they grow older, if they're lucky enough to be in a family with a couple of extra kids like um, Toby and Wesley, they too um, interact with the baby in such a way as to help their development. The kids reinforce the things that they've been told by their parents. And so you have this little community that nurtures this child and, and then as they grow up they'll be looking forward to teach them life lessons and to mature and to the point where they can take their place in society and, and in the church. Well, that too is what Paul had in mind in terms of us here, that there be a community, that when someone's newly born as a Christian, that is such a precious thing. But they're newborn. They don't know a lot yet. I read um, the other, uh, yesterday's church email. I told you about Rachel up north who's become a Christian just in October. And she said to me uh, last week, she said, today I was walking around the supermarket and she said, is this what it's like to be born again? She said, but today I was walking around the supermarket and looking through a completely different lens. I see all the people who need God. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's the, that's the work of the Spirit in her. But she's, but she's only new. She says, I don't, there's so much I don't know. Well, that's the beauty of growth. And the idea of the church is to be a nurturing place for those babies. For this place to be a place where, where babies grow up and mature and for us to grow up and mature. So this letter is not written to individuals, is it? It's written to a church. It's written to the church, he says, in Ephesus. He said, to the church that's at Ephesus and in Christ. And that's, that's the dichotomy, if you like, of our life. In Ephesus, in Christ. In Hobart, in Christ. That's the life we live, isn't it? Physically, we're in Hobart, but we're in Christ, which is a more important location. Would you agree? It's a much more important location. And so this church was written to as a group of people. And so sometimes we think about growth in individual terms, but in actual fact, Paul would have the church grow together. Now that's um, quite different to our individualistic society, but Paul said this is the way it should be. No one's left behind. You often hear that in terms of soldiers going in somewhere. Well, look, whatever happens, no one will be left behind. That's what Paul has an idea for the church. That there not be a church where there's very immature people for long periods of time, some very mature people, but we're growing together to maturity and we're helping each other towards maturity, just as Toby and Wes will be helping that little baby to understand what's going on in the family.
The church is very important. Paul goes on to say that it's through the church that the manifest wisdom of God would be made known. I wonder if we always think of church in that light, that this is a very important community that, that Christ has developed. When the Spirit lit the flame, the first thing they, they did, talking about the magnificent things of God, was to get together and to share the good things of God and to disciple people and share their resources and so on. So where does the church figure in your life? Is, is this the way you imagine your salvation path, that you're heading on towards um, glory and towards Jesus Christ? And you can see your face clearly, and there's this kind of a, amorphous bunch. There's some on the side and some behind you. Haven't really got a face on them, but, yeah, but we're heading in the, in the right direction. Or do you see yourself as a person that is heading towards that destiny with Christ, but you look to your left and your right and you know those people and you're linking arms with them. And you look to your right and there's Rob Train by your side. And you look to the left and there's uh, Alison. And you go, yeah, these are the people that we are, we're working together and we're maturing together to the point where Jesus takes us home. And I really care about that person on my left and I care about that person on that, their, their right and they're my brother and my sister and we're in lockstep together. That's the idea, um, that's the idea that Paul has. This is the place where things happen and where people, where, where the comfort that God has given us is given out to others. This is the place where we snatch people out of the fire. This is the place where we're encouraged uh, by being around each other. Paul said something um, to the Philippians, it was quite alarming if you think about it. He said, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others, he said, care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus Christ. Think about that. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. That's what God, that's what Paul, that's what the Bible is calling us to, to have a real care for other people in this place and care as much for their growth as we care for our own growth. The goal um, is mentioned in Ephesians a bit later on in Galatians, uh, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 4. Have a look at what Paul says and what he would like for us. Ephesians 4 and I'm in Galatians, that's not going to help. He says this is the goal for us all to come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, no longer being children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal. The goal is that we grow up into Christ as one mature person. This church, again, collectively, we grow up into Christ. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's a beautiful thing to think about God working in us as a group of people to reach his stature, to be this shining light so that when people come in, they don't, they don't so much see individuals, but they see a group of people, yes, with individual personalities, but gripped by the Holy Spirit maturing Christ, overflowing with the goodness of God and wanting to share it 
at every opportunity. That's what God has in, in mind for us. But how does that happen? He says a bit later on at the end of that chapter, he says, growing up into every way who is him the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Each part must do its place for that to happen as we're growing each other in love, growing together. And so that means that we take real interest in real care in every person in this place. And we're interested in them growing up into Christ. And we're invested in their relationship. And it means whoever comes through that door, we're invested in their relationship. Do they know God yet? We, we, we want to see where they are with God. We want to make them help progress. Do they know God? Are they born again? But, that, but there's so much they don't know. We want to share with them and teach them and disciple them or lead them to somebody else in the church who's got a gift for that. And so uh, I, can, I can look around this room and I can see gifted people in, in various areas. And I know that some people are really gifted for inviting people into, the, into a relationship with them or into a relationship with the church. They're fantastic in doing that. And they just have this magnetic way of just... Uh, a bit like Lydia, people just can't not come. You know, come along, they'll come. And then there's other people that are great at discipling. They say, just give me someone who wants to know about God and I'd love to spend some time in the Word. That's what the church is. We're not all fingers, we're not all toes, we're not all arms and legs. But as we work cooperatively together, we can do the will of God, we can bring people to maturity, we can help people along, we can glorify God. And this place, again, the light shines out of this place in a, radiant, in a radiant kind of way. So the church is a gift. The church isn't a burden. Sometimes people get in thinking that, that you know, church is either just a regular thing that we do or it's something that's a bit of a hassle. I've got to get up Sunday morning. The church is God's gift to us, just like a, a family is a gift to a, a little baby like Rory. Just as that is a gift of God, this is an absolute gift of God and we should appreciate it. This is a place where we carry people's burdens. This is a place that we lift people up. Or when we are down, we are lifted up and we're able to encourage people. It's a fantastic thing. But how does it happen? Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about something that's been given to us in that assistance. Remember that each person plays their part. But in the first part of Ephesians chapter 4, he says this. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. We're given grace and we're given grace gifts. All of us have a gift that will be of benefit to someone else in this place, in the gathered community. But he says, uh, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts in people. Verse 11, the gifts he gave was that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And immediately we read those words, we go, well, that's great pastors is just what we need because they're the guys that do all that stuff. They go around and visit the sick and they teach in the church and they, you know, they, they do a lot of stuff. It's one of those, except you've got to decide, well, which pastor does that? Is it the senior pastor, the executive pastor, the associate pastor? Pastors, I think, is a really unfortunate translation. There are some of those in the Bible, I think, not, not because it's bad in itself, but because 
we imbue that word with what we know about the current world. Okay, we know what a pastor is, we know what they do, they head a church and they do that stuff. That's not what Paul was talking about. The word pastor is actually a Latin word, which is strange because it's not Greek and it's not English. So it's not really a translation. The word pastor is a Latin word, it means shepherd. It's the same word that Peter used when he says to shepherd the flock of God. It's the same word Paul uses when he talked to the elders in Ephesus about shepherding the church, which has been bought with Christ's blood. So it's talking about shepherds and teachers. It's talking about those who, who care for the church. But they're gifts. But what's the aim? The aim is, he goes on to say, um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. And again, I, I think saints is an unfortunate translation because for a lot of people it means some ultimate, ultra-holy person. I'm not denying there are some of those in this church, but we are all saints, in fact. We're all saints. I remember Colin Dennis giving a talk um, many years ago at Murray Street and saying, we are the Latter-day Saints. <laughs> well, that's true. We are the saints of God. This is the righteousness has been given to us uh, from Christ. We know our own imperfections, but we are the chosen ones. We are the holy ones, as Paul has said in Ephesians chapter 1. So the idea of these people, it's not as if there's one person, like the, the pastor or the priest or whoever, who does all this stuff, but rather that there would be shepherds and teachers, or perhaps in this verse the shepherd-teacher is the same thing. But the main thing is that the work is done by us, by the church. It's to prepare people for works of service. So our job, in terms of the way we see our job as elders and shepherds of the flock, is to do that, to equip people for the work of ministry, to provide the opportunities for people to do God's work, to encourage them, to identify people's giftedness. And so sometimes we might come up to you and we, and we might say, you've got this particular gift, there's a real need in our church for you to, to deploy that gift uh, in our church, are you willing to do that? They're the sort of things that we might do. And we might provide all sorts of uh, things within the church and you know, the, the way that the church works in this place is uh, biblically, which is we don't go around, uh, the elders don't care for every newborn baby or every sick uh, person in church. We know that Helen leads up a team of, again, gifted people who have a love uh, for other people and have a gift for that and, and say, I want, we want to offer this to the church. And so the, the, the church looks after those people through um, something like the care group. We know the teaching isn't done entirely by the elders, but there are gifted people who, who say, or we might say, we think you have a gift of teaching, we'd love you to teach on this subject, to build up the body of Christ. Uh, there will be all, all number of things that happen in this church, and the idea is that we do it. We, the children of God, the saints of God, uh, do those things. Each part does its work. So beginning of 2024 is a great time to ask this question. Am I doing my part? Or what am I doing to promote the growth of the body in 2024? And so that, might be, that maybe moves our focus away a little more from the individual. What am I going to do? How am I going to improve myself in 2024? How am I going to promote the growth of the church into Christ and the fullness of Christ this year? It's a very challenging kind of question and we need to take that seriously. It might be that 2024 is the year where you say, 
I'm going to prioritise being at church in this place. Because if what we said was true, and this is the only time that the church is gathered together, then this should take priority in our lives in terms of being able to assist others in our church. Use our gift, serve others, that it can happen in this place. It should be prioritised over work, over recreation, over our hobbies or other things. This should be a priority in our time. Will it be in 2024? How can we serve the church if we're not here? 2024 might be the year where you decide that you want to, after having been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you want to be baptised and you want to make a public witness of that. We had an example of that, didn't we, last year? Seven or eight people who were baptised. And you know, it was equally special of, for, the, for the new Christian to get baptised. It's a really special moment for the observer. It's, it's really lovely. Equally lovely, those who have been Christians for a while. And, and, and the light of God gets through and, say, and they say, yeah, I need to do that. This is something I haven't done for a number of years. I should have done it years ago and I'm going to do it now. That is a beautiful thing. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you in this place that 2024 is going to be a year for baptism. Maybe 2024 is going to be the year where you join one of our home groups. For the first time, you start to look outside yourself and you go, I don't like going out in evenings. I don't particularly like home groups. But maybe... But maybe I've had enough experience in the Christian life that I can actually help someone else in that small group in a way that I can't help them in the church. That when people are sharing their lives, I might have opportunity to, to build into their lives and to share from my experience, whether good or whether bad. And so I'm going to look at life not from my individual convenience point of view, but actually, will this build up the body of Christ? Maybe this is the year when you start to prioritise the things of God. And you say... You know, my devotional life, in terms of reading God's word, prayer and meditation, uh, that's really been on the back burner. And I really, what I do is I kind of, if I can fit it in, I fit it in. Maybe this is the year, 2024, where you say, actually, this is most important. Can I actually connect with God? Can I do what Paul talks about in, in terms of knowing God better? How can I know him better? Well, I can only know him better by communicating with him. And that's going to be prayer, and that's going to be reading his word. And will the Holy Spirit, have I got faith the Holy Spirit will reveal stuff to me through God's word? So this year I'm going to make a priority that those devotions are going to come first, before I do anything else, and whatever else happens. And actually, I'm going to do them at the optimum time for me. Everyone's different in this place. For me, first thing in the morning is the best time. That's the time I'm feeling alert and I'm feeling I can engage with God. I know other people are great nighttime people, and you know, 12.30, they're feeling, hey, what are we gonna do now? Maybe 12.30 is your best time, to, when the kids are in bed and everything's quiet, that you can get down to your devotion. But whenever it is, choose your best time. Maybe 2024 is the time you wanna prioritize the things of God. Maybe this is the year you wanna get your prayer life in order. Maybe this is the year when you're gonna to come to grips with anxious thoughts. And there's this anxiety which is stopping you from doing a whole load of things that you would like to do. Maybe this is a year, rather than just accepting that as being part of your life, you actually make concrete steps to conquer that. And, you know, I, I believe there's a variety of ways we can do that. It, it, it certainly involves prayer and talking to God and asking the Spirit to do that. He tells us not to be anxious. Claim that promise of his. But, you know, go to your local doctor. See if there's something that you can do to alleviate that 
anxiety. Take every means, but say, well, if this anxiety is a block to what I can do in terms of building up the fellowship and getting close to God, then I need to, to do something about that, not just accept it. Maybe 2024 is the year when you're going to begin to look around, maybe for the first time. You're going to look around this church and you're going to look at your prayer directory and rather than see it as a convenient phone book, you're going to say, how can I, how can I help build the faith of that person? So when you come to the page where um, Vicky and Jeff are, you go, yeah, Vicky and Jeff, how much do I actually know about them? What can, what can I learn from them and what can I give to them? Is there some way I can, I can give to them? And when you look at Margaret or you look at one of the kids like Grace and Kate and you think to yourself, well, how much, what do I really know about them? Are they part of the church too? Maybe 2024 is the year you're going to start looking around. Maybe 2024 is the, the, the year where you're going to say, I am, I don't know if I'm any good at discipleship, but what I think I can do is I could read the Bible with someone. It would be great to, to pick out an individual and say, if they're willing, it'd be great to just sit down and read the Bible. Maybe we can do it once a week or once a fortnight or once a month. It'd be great if we could get together. Maybe if it, you find it hard to do your devotions, maybe you say, well, if I have someone else that I'm accountable to, that would be a really good thing. Maybe we could meet up and we could uh, benefit each other. The truth is that we don't really know what God can do unless we step out and follow his direction. Certainly been my experience, has it been yours? That when you follow God in one step, he gives you another step? That's been, that's been and, and I figure if I've never taken that step, I'm never gonna go anywhere. I'm gonna stay in one spot. But you go one step with God, and then, he, and then he fills you up and then inevitably he will give you another step forward. That's the beauty of following God. That's the thing that Paul had in mind is getting to know God and getting to know him through experience. So yeah, we know this. We know these things. The things that Paul wrote out Ephesians 1, yeah, in our mind, we know them. But do we know them in having experience? Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in you? Well, you never do that unless you call on the power of the Holy Spirit uh, at, at various times. Yeah, his... Lavishing grace is amazing. There'll be surprises in store. I'll just um, finish with a comment from uh, a guy named Frederick Beekner. He's, um, he's a writer, but he's also, um, he's also a minister in a church. <clears throat> and he was called to a church um, because they were in between pastors, in between uh, ministers. So they said, can you come out for six weeks, look after our church, all you have to do is the teaching. Like, no pastoral work, that'll all be sorted out. Everyone's going to do that stuff. Your job is just the teaching. So he tells of his experience. He says, um, I preached all one winter long at a church in, in, in Manchester, this is in the United States, a Baptist church, the minister of which had left and they hadn't got a new one. My job was supposed to be just preaching the pastoring part and all the other things that go on in churches was done by other people. One day I was shaking hands, uh, like I used to do after the sermon, and saying the usual amenities, exchanging that, how do you do, when one old woman came out of that church whom, I, whom I'd never noticed before. Sallow, hollow-chested, grim-looking. And I said, how are you? Dumb question, he says. And she said, I'm just as well as can be expected. 
He said, I'll always remember those words. They were not the expected words, and somehow those words made me afraid. I could not help but fear for her faith. And even though my arrangement was not to do anything but preach, I thought, I can't not go to see somebody who says merely, I'm as good as can be expected, I'm as well as can be expected. So I went to see her, and I dreaded it, because I thought there would be tears and it would last too long, and she would tell me all her troubles and I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't be able to help, help her. What can you do for a lonely old woman? But none of those things happened. Instead, I fell in love with that old woman, and I went to see her, not for her sake, but for my sake, year after year, for about seven years, until one St. Valentine's Day, she died. My life was enriched by her. I experienced love, and I was able to love her too, all because I happened to see her face by grace. God is God of the unexpected. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you've placed us in this place, that you haven't left us alone, but you've made a new community, which we call the church. I thank you for your glorious grace, which has been lavished upon us. And I repent that that's uh, not the thing that's always in the forefront of my mind. And how beautiful to be reminded of Paul's words, your words to us that we've been redeemed, that we've been given a seal of promise of the future, that we have a glorious inheritance and what a difference that makes to us. So I thank you for the inheritance that is with us, the inheritance that exists now within this church, that we have many beautiful people here, people who have come to know you, come to put their faith in you and the Holy Spirit is active and alive. So I pray for us as a church that we will do the things that Paul prays for, that we will grow up into him who is the head, the Christ, that each of us would do our part. And as you have graciously given us gifts, that we would use those gifts to serve others. I thank you for the examples we have of love in this place and of serving in this place. And I pray, Father, that as we walk out in faith, you will shower upon us all sorts of future opportunities and further opportunities, but mostly that we will experience your love and we'll do as Rachel did looking through the supermarket. We'll see people through your eyes. That's really what, what we want for each person here, each man, woman and child. So may we entrust ourselves to your grace through the Holy Spirit. May you work in us and may people see a, a glimpse of who you are through the activities of us in community here. May 2024 be a growing year for every person in this place. By your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.